but it, it's time to FaceTime. We're continuing on part two. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of John once again. John chapter four. We're looking at a number of stories in John's gospel where Jesus has face-to-face conversations with people. And in these FaceTime moments, here's what we begin to realize is that they come to a place of understanding. They're not just talking to a human named Jesus. They actually just encountered God in the flesh. And we talked about this principle last week. It's kind of the theme that you'll hear throughout this series. And here's the good news. We have a God who desires to get personal. And for some of us, maybe that that sounds like a crazy idea. Maybe you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. Maybe it's been a long time. But here's why this matters. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see Jesus encounter people in a personal way. And this matters because when we get personal with God, powerful things can happen. Powerful things. And and that's my prayer for you. If, If it's been a long time, since you've had a personal encounter with Jesus, my prayer is that in the coming weeks, you would encounter him face to face, where you would sense his his realness, his love, his passion for your life. Hey, today, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this message title down. You can belong. I want to talk about the fact that you can belong. It was the summer after my sixth grade year I made the trip out to northwestern Minnesota to visit my grandpa and grandma Soli. And so I was just in time to experience the humidity and the overwhelming amount of mosquitoes in Minnesota. But what I loved about visiting my grandparents, because these were the set of grandparents that lived a far ways away, and so I didn't have the chance to see them every year. It was really every few years that I would get the opportunity to go visit them. And I made this trip, and even though I didn't get to experience their home all that often, it was amazing how the moment that I walked into their house, I felt like I belonged. There there was this overwhelming sense of belonging. Now, now it could have been the fact that my grandmother, she made fresh-baked bread every single morning. I mean, that's that's a good thing. That kind of helps. Not only that... My grandparents, being good, strong Norwegians, they made coffee and drank coffee all day, every day. And maybe that's where I got it. But, but I had this sense of belonging. The moment I walked in, I remember one of the hobbies that my grandfather had in his retirement years, he loved to fish. And if you've ever been to Minnesota, you know that there's no lack of lakes in Minnesota. And so one day we, we went out fishing and I was excited. He handed me one of his prized fishing rods, and we were out fishing for northern pike. We went out onto this dock, and we were casting the line out into the lake, and it was just beautiful. In this moment where where we're fishing, I cast my line out, and I notice, I look down, and I see that my shoe is untied. So I I bend down to, to tie my shoe, and all of a sudden, I hear this splash. That splash was because I had set that fishing rod up on the edge of that dock, and it fell into the lake. And in a moment, I had this mixed emotion of both panic 
and shame. Because I had to tell my grandpa, Grandpa, I lost your fishing pole. And so I do what my mind tells me to do. I, I reach down, I begin to take off my shoes, and I'm, I'm pulling off my shirt, and I'm like, Grandpa, I lost your fishing pole, but I'm going to jump in and get it. And he grabs my arm. He goes, no, 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 no. Aren't you thankful for people who have a little bit more wisdom than you? A little bit more life experience. They, they see things that you don't see. He went over to his fishing pole and took off his current hook and went and grabbed a bigger hook, put a weight on the end of the line, and he just patiently threw out that line, kind of bobbed it along the bottom. Did that a couple of times, and about the third time in, all of a sudden, I saw his pole hit something. And he just slowly began to reel that line in, and all of a sudden, up came the missing fishing pole. It's interesting, the, the moment that I knew I had lost something that was valuable to him, that feeling of both panic and shame crept in. And here's what I know. This is a shared human experience. In fact, it, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were in perfect relationship with God. They had the true sense of belonging. But then because of a decision that they make, that, that sense of belonging is shattered. In fact, we read in Scripture the first place that that emotion of shame ever shows up. It was actually in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve did what most of us do. Because of shame, they, they hustle, they try to find some fig leaves, they, they sew them together to, to cover themselves. That day in northwestern Minnesota, all I was doing was trying to cover myself and deal with the mistake that... I had made, but here's the good news. My grandfather had more wisdom than I did. He actually had a solution that he knew there was no way sixth grade little Tyler is not going to be able to dive down to the bottom of this lake. I can deal with this. You see, in this story, I learned something important, that that sense of shame and the feeling of belonging are incompatible. Catch this. You cannot have a feeling of belonging and a feeling of shame at the same time. And this is why I believe one of the tactics of the enemy of your soul wants to bring shame on your life and over your life. Why? Because as long as you feel covered with shame, you'll never actually feel like you truly belong. But this is where John chapter 4 changes some things. Because we're going to see this truth about who Jesus is. You see, one conversation with Jesus can take an outcast and offer a place of belonging. One conversation, and that, that's my prayer because I believe there's some of us here today, we like the idea of a good God. We sang about it earlier. You are good and you can only do good. You can only be good, but... But then in the back of our mind, there's this little voice of, yeah, but after what you did, where you come from, what, what you did last week or last night or last year, how can you dare to lift your hands and worship to a holy God? What I love is that one conversation with Jesus can take an outcast and provide a place of belonging. Look with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we read 
that Jesus is traveling with his disciples. There's tension and pressure rising up in Jerusalem and in Judea in the southern part of Israel. And so Jesus makes the decision to travel back north to Galilee. Most Jewish people, especially those who are more orthodox in their approach, would have taken a route that would lead them on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River, up to Galilee and then cross back over. Why? Because straight to the north of Jerusalem was an area known as Samaria. This was off limits. It was off limits for a few reasons, because the Samaritans, by the the Jews, they were considered to be mixed, not only in their race, but also in their religion. See, the Samaritans, they held to this idea in their their theology, in their worldview, they only embraced the first five books of the Bible, the the Pentateuch. And so there was tensions. The Jews, they, they held to the Pentateuch, but also to the law, the prophets, and the poets. And so there's collision about worldview. There's collision racially. There's collision culturally. And yet, what we read is important for those of us who have ever felt shame. Listen to what it says, John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He, speaking of Jesus, had to. Can you say had to? Jesus had to travel through Samaria. Now, with the background I just gave you, Jesus didn't have to, but he Had to, why? Because there was a divine assignment. There was somebody who needed a face-to-face conversation. Why? Because they were an outcast, but Jesus was about to offer a place of belonging. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Now, we learned something important here. We talked about just for a moment last week about Jesus. Jesus is fully God, but here we also notice that Jesus is 100% man. How do we know that? Well, God does not get tired. But how many know man gets tired? And though he is fully God, he allowed himself to be clothed in humanity. And so Jesus is experiencing the dynamic. So for those of us who have ever been tired, for those of us who have ever been weary in our soul, the good news is Jesus knows that feeling, knows the weight, knows the pressure. He is not unaware. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Here's how we know that there's some cultural, some racial, and some religious tensions going on in this moment. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There was a, a collision happening right here. And it catches this woman off guard. We read earlier that this was about noon. Why is this woman coming alone when in that cultural moment, the women would have gone collectively together in the early morning before the heat of the day? For some reason, this girl is in isolation all by herself in the heat of the day. Why? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God 
and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? I love that Jesus is gonna lean in in this moment. She thinks he's talking about natural water. He's going to turn the natural into a spiritual conversation. He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Have you noticed this in your life that even though you satisfy your thirst yesterday, how many of you, you woke up thirsty today? Even though you had a cup of coffee yesterday, come on, how many of you know you had a cup of coffee today? Some of you, even though you had a cup of coffee this morning, you've already had a second or third or fourth or you're on your second pot today. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. In other words, she's saying, hey, if I can get a fast pass, I don't have to do this anymore. Go ahead, give me that water. And I love what Jesus does here. He leans in. He leans in. Go, call your husband, he told her, and come back here. She responds, I don't have a husband. Jesus responds, he says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Again, we talked about this last week, Jesus sees us. I love her response in this moment, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. (laughs) He, he, didn't know her, he shouldn't know anything about her, he's just a Jewish man, rabbi, teacher, sitting at a well at noon and just happens to encounter a woman who is an outcast socially and engages in a spiritual conversation. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem, what's interesting, Jesus touches on a spiritual need in her life and she redirects the conversation to a theological debate. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this. Where at times you you try to address maybe an issue in somebody's life and all of a sudden they turn the conversation into some other ambiguous theological debate and Jesus will have none of it. He said, believe me, woman, An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, the Samaritans believed that the proper place to worship was where the first offering was made when the people came into the promised land. And yet the Jews believed, no, God called Solomon to build a temple in Jerusalem to worship and sacrifice there. She wanted to turn Jesus away from the fact that she had some brokenness in her life and make it about a theological moment. But Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to deal with that. And by the way, I'm right. (laughs) 
It says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation's from the Jews. But an hour is coming, listen to this, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now listen to her response. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, the very reason why she had approached that well in the first place, went into town and told the people, the same people she was trying to avoid, come, see. Come on, how many of you were here last week? Come and see. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. There's an evangelism strategy. Hey, come to church with me next week because God's going to reveal everything you've ever did. What's the point? God sees us, but God didn't back away. Maybe there's a place of belonging in this relationship with God. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Today, I want to talk about four reasons why we can have that sense of belonging. Number one is this Jesus, he went out of his way to bring you hope and healing. Today, you, you might look at your life and say, Well, Tyler, I can see how some people could belong around here, but me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. No. Understand, Jesus went out of his way. Just like he went out of his way to bring this woman hope and healing. Friends, he's already done the same thing for you. Jesus could have easily done what all of the Jews did in this time frame. What was that? He could have gone around the issue instead of going straight to the issue. And here's what I want to remind you. Instead of going around the issues in your life, he came straight towards you. We see this, that, that in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about Jesus, and he invites the church to have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had. Listen to what it says, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude that Jesus Christ had, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself. Assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's the point? Well, the point is this the direction that most wanted to avoid, Jesus was actually willing to see as his assignment. Most of that time period would have gone around Samaria. I don't want to deal with the issue. I don't want to have to deal with those type of people. And yet Jesus says, no, that's exactly who I want to deal with. That's exactly why I've come. 
even in our own lives. He, he went out of his way. He gave up. He, he willingly took on the form of a servant, clothed himself in humanity. You want to talk about a downgrade? Imagine being eternal God and saying, yeah, I'll live as a human. And then I'll suffer as a human. I will die as a human. But the good news is the story doesn't stop there. Because Jesus rose again and Jesus is alive. Friends, he went out of his way to bring you hope and healing. Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced. Can we just be honest for a moment? It is not convenient to serve. It is not convenient to suffer. It's not convenient to give your life as a sacrifice. It's not convenient to surrender, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He went out of his way to bring you hope and healing. Here's the second reason why you can belong. Jesus, he sees the full reality of who you are. The full reality. The full reality. Go and bring your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right, you've actually had five and the dude you're shacked up with right now does not have a ring on his finger. Jesus sees the full reality of who you are, and guess what? He doesn't flinch or back away. This is so important. Because how many of us, we've ever had a friend come to us, and they, they tell us their, their deep, dark secrets, and our first response is, oh, what? You did what? I can't, how dare you? And some of us, we, we assume that that's God's response. Like, like if we bring our issues to God, that he's going to go, oh, what, what am I going to, oh, what, what am I going to do now? Oh, myself, what am I going to do? <laughs> Jesus sees the full reality of who you are, and yet he does not flinch or back away. Now, now, don't miss this. He does not, and he's not interested in airbrushing reality. He's not here to kind of just sweep it under the rug and kind of wink at you and pretend like what happened didn't really happen. Here's what he's interested in. He's interested in transformation. He's interested in bringing change. He, he sees us for what we really are. He sees our sin for what it is really is, but I have good news. He did not back away. He did not back away in this conversation with this woman, and he will not back away from you. I'm convinced that our dog, Mia, has a sinful nature <laughs> and a guilty conscience. Some of you have heard me talk about Mia. We got Mia, I think, about eight years ago, nine years ago. And they told us, she was a rescue dog, they told us she was a chihuahua. She's not a chihuahua. She's, she looks like a miniature black lab. But Mia, Mia has this propensity towards sin. She, she craves it, she longs for it, Tyler. It seems like a stretch. No, just I, come visit Mia someday. Most days when we leave, Mia knows there's a rule in our house. Mia, you cannot be on the couch. Mia cannot be on the couch. Mia is not allowed on the couch. And yet, there's moments where we will leave the house, and guess where the first place Mia goes? 
the couch. How do we know that? Do we have cameras inside? No. Mia has a tell. What's her tell? It's twofold. Mia has this issue called shedding. So wherever she goes, you can tell where Mia was in the house. I mean, know that's frustrating when you're trying to be sneaky, but there's just like evidence that you are not that sneaky. Mia, you are not that sneaky. We will leave the house, we will walk back in, and Mia will be disappearing. Like she's, she's gone, and yet you look at the couch, and what do you see? You see evidence of Mia. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll watch Mia out of the corner of your eye. She'll try to like escape outside, but she'll, she'll walk like this. Like tail tucked between legs, ears pulled back. And almost every time I'll just look at her and I'll go, Mia. And she will just run outside. I mean, just hightail it. And it would be one thing if it was just a couch. We found Mia's hair on our table runner, on our dining room table. <laughs> we found Mia hair. We've walked into our bedroom before. All the pillows are messed up and disheveled. And guess what? There's Mia hair. And she's trying to act like, like nothing's wrong, like she didn't do anything. And, and all of a sudden, I'll look at her, and she'll like, ears tucked, tails tucked, like just, if I don't make eye contact, he can't see me. <laughs> and, and here's the point. How many of us, we have such a similar approach with God? Kind of spiritually, our tail is tucked, ears pulled back. Because we wonder, is God just going to deal out some shame on our lives? Some of you, I wonder if you walked through the parking lot today and your ears were kind of, so to speak, tucked back, tail, because you're like, oh, I wonder what that preacher is going to, man, the church just condemnation and guilt and shame. But, but here's the question. If God doesn't flinch or back away from you, why should we back away from him? See, the enemy of your soul would love to have you wrapped up in shame and guilt so that you stay away or feel like you can't come close to the very solution that God has provided, which is his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's his grace. Listen, shame brings a heavy price tag. And this is my concern for, for many Christians is that we, we want to experience that sense of belonging. We want that freedom in our relationship with God. But that voice continues to gnaw in the back of our head, shame, shame on you, shame, you know better. Man, there's evidence that you were in a place that you weren't supposed to be. But I wonder what would happen if we just considered for a moment that God actually sees the full reality of who we are, and he doesn't flinch. And what that means is I don't have to put on the facade, I don't have to put on a mask, but I can actually come to him and find what will deal with my shame. Tyler, the Bible says that godly sorrow leads us to repentance. That's right. There's a difference between sorrow and shame. Shame has to deal with hopelessness. Sorrow actually leads us to repentance. And right now, listen, I, I have two more points, but I want us to pray right now. Why? Because I believe there's some people who need to have shame broken off their life today. 
There's some people here today because of decisions you've made or just the circumstances, the journey of life, you carry with you, even in moments of worship where, where you want to lift up your hands and praise, but the first thing you hear is, how dare you lift up your hands after what you've done? Instead, I wonder if we could hear the voice of Jesus today to say, come here, I've got the solution for your shame. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it was sin. I'm not gonna minimize that, it was sin, but, but I've already paid the price for your sin. You walking and living with shame is not going to somehow deal with the price tag here. I've dealt with that. Come on, across the room right now, would you just bow your heads for a moment? Holy Spirit, I pray for those who are carrying a burden of shame. God, I pray that today you would set captives free. Lord, there is room in our lives to have sorrow. We know that godly sorrow leads us to repentance, but, but as sons and daughters of the king, there's no room for shame. God, thank you that when you see the full reality of who you are, you don't flinch, but instead you lean in. You remind us that your life, your death, your resurrection is more than enough. God, I pray that there would be supernatural freedom in people's hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name. Number three, here's the third reason why we can belong. You see, where you've come from is not the determining factor of where you are called to. This woman's story is this reminder that, that she came from brokenness. She came from a place that was less than ideal, but, but Jesus wasn't content in just leaving her there. And some of us, we look at our history. We look at the rearview mirror and we go, well, I don't know how God could ever do something or use somebody like me because of where I've been. But understand, where you've come from is not the determining factor of where you are called to. Here's what I know. Every person in this place, every person worshiping online, you have a story. Let's be honest. Even, even those of you who like, you grew up in church, I mean, you, you did it all. You, you were in Royal Rangers. You were in Missionettes. I mean, you, discipleship, Sunday school, Every award that was handed out, every badge that was handed out, you got it. But guess what? I don't care what your track record has been. We all have a story, don't we? And part of that story is we recognize we need a savior. And the good news is no matter where you've come from, that is not the determining factor of where God in his grace is calling you to. See, friends, God wants to get personal with you. When you allow him to get personal, powerful things happen. This woman who was an outcast is now welcomed into this place of belonging to the point that the very people she was trying to avoid, the very criticism that he, she was walking away from in the heat of the day, she runs back and says, come and see this man named Jesus. It's the fourth reason why we can belong. Your story doesn't exclude you from bringing God's story to others. Your story, scars and all, wounds and all, your story does not exclude you. Well, Tyler, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. 
Here's what's amazing about this story. This woman is the first evangelist that we read about in John's gospel. She's a Samaritan. She's got less than ideal track record. And she's the first one to go and say, come and see this man named Jesus. She brings this hope, this news to other outsiders. Your story does not exempt you from bringing God's story to others. Your story can be a catalyst of change and hope for other people. See, look at this, look at this lady in, in John chapter four. This woman, she's an outcast by most, but she was not cast out by Jesus. Her story became an opportunity to tell others. Look with me, John chapter four, verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. Imagine that pitch to your coworker. He he saw me, he, he knew everything I did, but he didn't flinch. He didn't back away. He told me, he revealed, he's the Messiah, he's the coming one, he's the one who's going to set all things right. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed two more days. Many more believed because of what he said and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said since we have heard for ourselves and know that he really is the savior of the world. One woman who is broken, one woman who is cast out by others, Jesus goes out of his way to provide a place of belonging. But not only that, a place of transformation. Took a woman who was trying to avoid the crowds to now running into the crowds to say, you've got to meet this Jesus because if he did this for me, I know he can do it for you. Friends, there is a place of belonging because of Jesus. You can belong. Maybe others have cast you out, but hear me clearly. Jesus doesn't cast out outcasts. You might have cast yourself out, but Jesus, instead of going around you and around your issues and around all your problems and around all your baggage, he is willing to confront it head and he offers you a place to belong. He gives you this invitation. You you can belong. And friends, this is our Savior. This is the one that we sing to. This is the one that we pray to. This is the one that we worship. This is the one that we glorify. He's the one who doesn't go around us. He comes straight to us. Man, I'm thankful for that type of grace. So, we come to this place that you can belong. Don't miss this. That place of belonging had a price. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we all should have died, but he rose again. See, Jesus, he paid it all, but as that old song goes, the response to him paying it all is all to him. I owe. That's what he welcomes us to to give our lives as a response to this belonging. Today, can I invite you to bow your heads with me across this room?
I want to take a moment to pray because maybe there's some of us that we feel like there's this gap between us and God. I'm going to deal with shame again in just a moment, but, but today maybe you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're a million miles away. You see, it's not your effort that's going to draw you closer. It's not you, like I did in sixth grade, trying to strip off my shoes and shirt, trying to jump into the water to deal with the situation myself. No, I needed the help and the wisdom and the power and the strength of somebody else who could do for me what I could not do for myself. That's what Jesus has done for you. Today, if you want to know that your debt is paid, your sin is forgiven, if that's you, can I invite you just to raise a hand right now? Just hold it up for a moment and say, that's me, Tyler. I, I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I have a fresh start with God. Yeah. Yeah, others would say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Yeah. Second, I want to pray for those of us. Maybe, maybe we've been journeying with Jesus for a long time, but you feel that weight of shame, and you continue to question, do I actually belong? Can God actually welcome somebody like me? Maybe every time you come to worship, all you hear in your heart, in your mind is, is how could you, how could you, how could you? Again, sorrow leads us to repentance, though shame continues to push us away. We, we get busy like Adam and Eve trying to sew fig leaves together to cover ourselves. Today, if you want to shift from that sense of shame to that awareness of belonging, that's you. Can I invite you just to raise a hand? Just hold it up saying, yeah, Tyler, there, there's, some, there's some shame that, that I feel that I'm, I'm battling. I, I want to be free from that. Yeah, yeah. Lord, you see every hand. You know every need. You know every name. Lord, thank you that you see the full reality of who we are. And just like the woman at the well, when you see us and you know us, you don't flinch or back away. But instead, you lean into reality and you, you allow us to encounter this journey where transformation begins to happen in our lives. God, I pray that there would be transformation stories from this weekend. God, I pray for people who raised a hand. I pray that you would release that burden of shame. Thank you that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. I thank you, Romans 8 verse 1 reminds us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So break off every chain, every weight that carries shame with it. And I pray as well for those who raise a hand saying they want to put their trust in you today. Life Center, can we pray this prayer out loud together? Would you say these words? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision? Today, before I send you out on assignment, I'm going to invite our ushers to make their way forward. As I said earlier, once a month we take a special second offering for a specific missions need through our LC Cares initiatives. We've had a partnership with Calcutta Mercy for decades and decades now. Some of you, you've traveled to Calcutta. You've seen the work that the hospital is doing, the schools are doing, the feeding programs that they are doing. A number of months ago, Pastor Andy 
and Gary Nordland took a trip to Calcutta and they were walking through the hospital and they asked them about these x-ray machines that were in this room, but they weren't being utilized. And the hospital staff told Pastor Andy that those x-ray machines no longer work. So they asked the question, well, where are the working x-ray machines? And they said, we don't have one. And so every day, this hospital exists to, yes, heal bodies that are broken, but also to have people encounter the great physician. His name's Jesus. I wish I could take you there and walk the hallways of I, as I have and pray for people who are in broken places and watch how Jesus is encountering them in their lives. Today, we have the opportunity to help raise some money to provide those x-ray machines. And here's some good news for you. There was a donor who stepped forward as we asked Calcutta Mercy, how much does one x-ray machine cost? They need two. They said one x-ray machine costs $25,000. We had a donor step forward and said, I will buy the first one. And they provided 25,000. And so here's our goal as Life Center, as this community across all of our campuses this week. Our goal is to match that and raise the second $25,000 so that both of these x-ray machines will be provided. And so would you take a moment, would you pray? Here's what I know. Nobody can do everything, but all of us can do something. So I just ask, what is it that the part that God is inviting you to play in this moment? Just take a moment and pray with me. Jesus, I pray over the work in Calcutta. Literally thousands and thousands and thousands of lives are impacted on a daily basis in and through the work of Calcutta Mercy. And Lord, I pray over the Mercy Hospital there in Calcutta. I think about the hallways that I've walked down, the people that I've prayed for. The hospital, though, they're in need of these x-ray machines. So God, would you put it in our heart? What's the part that you want us to play? And I pray that we would simply be obedient to that part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The ushers are going to pass those buckets. You can give through that envelope or online. I want to let you know that as the buckets pass, as I mentioned a moment ago, we will be in the coming weeks receiving a special offering for what's going on in the devastation in Maui, specifically in the region of Lahaina. Uh, some of you will know the name Dr. Morocco. He's a pastor of King's Cathedral, churches across Hawaii and throughout the Pacific Ocean. But I sent Dr. Morocco a text the other night. He said, pray. And the good news is that resources are beginning to funnel in. And so there's some boots on the ground partners that we have in that area. Uh, the Moroccos had one of their church buildings burned down in Lahaina. And so we're going to be sending resource their direction. So be prayerful uh, for the people of Maui and of Lahaina, especially in the devastation that's taken place. But we are going to be receiving a special offering in the coming weeks. So be prayerful about that as well. Can I invite you to stand to your feet today? Our pastors and prayer team are going to be down front. They would love to be able to pray with you about anything that you need prayer for. But as we always do, listen, in a moment, you're going to be sent out on assignment to go and be the church this week because we don't just go to church. We are the church. So let's go. Let's be the church. Have a great week. God bless.